So over the last week or so, as I've been working on this message, it's really been a week of, let's face it, in America right now, we're, we're, at, this, we're at this time where there's a, there's a lot of tension in our country, and it happens every four years that we have a lot of tension that is going on in our own country. And it, it, will, it will all come to, a, to an, uh, an, an epic, um, you know, high point here soon, and it will die off for a little bit, but it will be back in about four more years. And so we have that going on right now, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of sensitivity in our relationships. There's a lot of sensitivity in, in, when, when we're talking to other people, because there's a lot of difference right now. But the one thing when, when it comes to, if you break down our, our elections and really what's in our hearts right now to what we're actually looking for on the other side of this campaign, of the, on the other side of the ballot box, what we're actually looking for is hope. We, we all have this idea on, on what we want our future to be like as a country and, and what we want our future to be like as a state and what we want our future to be like as, as individuals and as families. We have this idea on, on what we want, but it's not always necessarily what Christ wants for us. We all need hope. Our, our lives with Jesus Christ actually provides hope. Not, not our lives with our nation, not our lives with our, with our friends or with our relatives or, or with, with other family or with, with any other aspect of our world. It's not providing the hope that Jesus Christ provides and Him alone is the only avenue to the hope that is going to satisfy our souls. That's the way that we were built. That's the way we were made. It's hope for a better tomorrow here on this earth, but it's hope for an amazing eternity. It's hard for us to imagine eternity because everything that we do is built on time. But eternity is not built on time. And I can't imagine eternity like being forever. We can't imagine forever. But there is a forever. And everyone here will spend eternity somewhere. That is without a doubt. But Jesus Christ gives us that hope that we are spending eternity with Him. Now, when we look at hope, it's a little bit different than, than we, we see in our modern culture that takes the word hope and, and, and aligns it with a wish. I hope I win the lottery. That's not hope, that's a wish. I, I hope that, um, that, that this particular event happens in my life to better... That's not a hope, that's a wish is what that is. Hope is something that you can actually put some reliance upon. Jesus Christ, you can put reliance upon. You can't rely upon a wish. Is it anyone blown out a candle on their cake and said, I'm putting reliance upon that cake. I'm putting reliance upon that candle. I'm not relying upon... It's going to fall straight through. But see, with hope, we have an opportunity to come close to Christ and have a hope that has an, a, a tie on something that we can rely upon. Our lives are empty without this hope. Without the hope that Jesus brings, we have nothing 
when we look forward. Our hearts long for our Creator. Our, we long for our Savior, but sometimes there's people, and we all know somebody in our life who is longing for that hope, but has yet to find Jesus. If you open your Bibles with me this morning, we're going to be in the book of First John. It's toward... If you, have, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, it so, sounds like there's Bibles back here, which is awesome. We're going we're gonna to be in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be in verse 28. And I'll, and I'll give us a minute. We're, we're actually going to do something that some pastors are trained not to do. We're going to jump chapters here a little bit. We're going to go from chapter 2. We're going to go right into the beginning of chapter 3. Because I think there... There's, there's something here that John is trying to tell, tell us. Now, I want to lay a little bit of the groundwork here. John, the Apostle John, it's not John the Baptist, it's the Apostle John, and, and he's written not only a, a gospel, he has the fourth gospel, okay? And he's writing a letter to believers, to Christians, here in, uh, in this particular letter. If you have your Bibles open, we're in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 28. The Bible reads, it says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Here's the principle. As Christians, we are to stay close to Jesus so that we can grow in our faith. John writes that we are to abide in Christ. Literally, in, 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 in the original language, abide, this, this is to, to dwell or to rest in. And that's as close to Jesus as, as you can get, is to dwell in, to rest in. It's the idea of being with Christ and in Christ every day. It's the idea of spending time with Christ in prayer, talking to Jesus in the morning, talking to Jesus in the, in the afternoon, spending time in his word and reading. Aren't we so joyous and thankful that we worship a God that we can talk directly to, that we can stand up or take a knee and close our eyes and we can have a conversation with the one who created us? I find that fascinating myself. As, as big as God is, and all of this creation, and all of this world, that I've only had an opportunity is to see a small bit of this world. Maybe a few states. I've seen pictures from outer space and stuff. But this is God who created everything. Like this little ant wandering around. It has this system that works Perfectly, not by accident, but by creation. And God listens to me. He takes what I have to say and considers my prayer. Who am I? But God listens. This idea of being with Jesus every day brings us hope. Look what it says in verse number 28. And now abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed 
before His coming. That's being unashamed of the Bible. Before His coming, one day we are all going to meet Jesus face to face. We're all going to meet Him, every one of us. And when, if, you, if, if you're in the position to where you're not going to be shocked. You don't want to be shocked when you meet Jesus. You're not going to be shocked if you've met him and you've been with him every day of your life. It's not shocking now to come face to face with somebody that you've talked to for years. It's not shocking now to stand up before Jesus, somebody who has answered prayers, somebody who you've read his story, you've seen how his life affects you, you've seen how his life affects others. It's not shocking. But for somebody who has, who has maybe talked to, to Jesus like when they were eight, and, and they, they live this entire life so far away from Christ, when they step before him, that's a shock. It says so that when he appears, you can have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. As Christians, we're going to step in front of Jesus, and we don't have to be ashamed because he paid for our sin. He paid for that. I want you to imagine, if you will, with me, a, a, a staircase, maybe, maybe 500 steps up this staircase, okay? At the top of this staircase, you have Jesus up here at the very top, okay? And at the bottom of the staircase, you have, you have our world, and you have us, and you have this world full of corruption, this world full of filth, this world that tells you to follow me, and don't worry about the staircase, don't look up there, because that doesn't really exist. That's what the world's telling you. But I want you to imagine that time when you first come to Jesus, you've taken one step. And that time that you decided, you know what, I'm going to incorporate prayer into my everyday life. You've taken another step. And look where you've taken a step towards. You've taken a step towards Jesus. And you say, I'm going, to, I'm going to read my Bible every day, and now I'm going to spend time around other Christians, and I'm taking steps. But not only are you taking steps up to Jesus, look what's behind you. Not only are you stepping up from the world, you're stepping away from it. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't get closer to Christ without getting further away from sin. You cannot live in sin and continue to grow in Christ at the same time. It does not happen. It does not work. But we have hope. Because there's a hand that's reaching down that staircase to help us. There's a hand of Jesus that says, I see you struggling. I know that, I know that you're a child of mine, and I want to help you, and I'm going to help you. And I know that world has its temptations, and I know it wants to pull you back. But at every step you take towards Jesus, you're taking one step away from that filth. We're still in the same shells. We're still in our same body. And we still have to live within this world. We have to. But it's not, it's not our bodies that, that, that are joyous. It's our soul that's joyous here. That we could live in this world of corruption and we can be joyous and we can be hopeful. Because the people who live in this world right now and don't have Jesus and don't have hope and haven't taken a step, 
They're right down in that, in that world, and that world is full of depression, and that world is full of sadness, and that world is full of people trying to figure it out on their own, and they can't. People have been trying to figure it out on their own for thousands of years. I haven't met a single person who's figured it out on their own. I haven't met one. If that person exists, let's face it, that person doesn't exist. The book of John, chapter 15, I'm going to read for you. You don't have to turn there, but we're in chapter 15, verses 4 through 10. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse number six, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. Jesus is asking us to be close to him. He is asking us for our time. He's helping us, asking us for our selflessness that... that that we bear fruit and in exchange he gives us hope a hope that we could go out into this world and a hope that when we get to spend eternity with him that there's there's so much for us there we are actually privileged it's it's like we're we're honored it's like being belonging to this to this great club of sorts maybe to a wonderful family maybe to a, a regiment of sorts read with me back in our text first john we're going to skip that chapter now like i said we're in chapter three verse number one it says behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of god therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Here's the principle. By nature, man is a creation of God, but it is only by the grace of God that man is a child of God. God made all of us. He made everything that we see. We are a creation of God, but it is by his grace that now we're adopted into the family that we are a child of God. When we come to Jesus, we come now as part of of the family like he goes to work to start building this mansion for us in heaven i can imagine like there's angels with work belts on right and and they've got to put up shingles but they don't need a ladder because they just kind of fly up and hammer shingles and stuff i don't know if angels build things but i would i would hope that like my mansion, I would like it to be constructed by angels. That's what I would like. And one of them can hang out because I would like to have an angel in the house. When I get there, maybe help out with coffee every morning and stuff. I've never had it like an actual angel living there. But he goes to work building us a mansion, right? And he does that for his children. 
He does that only by the grace and mercy that God allows us to live with him. Imagine that. I look at this world that we're in right now, and someday we're going to live with our creator. We get to live with Jesus. That just blows my mind. I'm just a guy. To me, I'm just a guy. I'm a guy. I'm a sinner. I am a, a liar. I've never played a liar or seen a liar or heard a, a liar, but I am. I've lied. I am a sinner. Why would my Creator want me around at all? Without Jesus, I, I wouldn't have an opportunity to be around at all. Because God won't allow even one of my smallest sins to come into His presence. And if I have that baggage on me, no. But I don't, because Jesus has said, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. And you come in here white. You come in white as snow. That's the way you're coming in. You're coming into the kingdom the same way that Christ is in the kingdom, pure. God knows us so well. And we've all heard the saying that he knows all of the hairs on your head, right? There was a, a German scientist a while back that had actually done a study and they had counted hairs on heads. And they had, found, no, they had actually found out that the color of your hair will determine how much hair is on your head. It's as an example, uh, a head with uh, a black hair, there's more hairs than red hairs. If you're a redhead, you've got fewer. Um, there are, on brown, there's more than, uh, than black hair. And there's more on blonde than there is on brown. So here, here's a number. The average blonde has 140,000 hairs on the head. 140,000, and God knows all of them. 140,000. I've got four kids, and I get their names mixed up sometimes. He's got 140,000 hairs on a head. Get this. That is an interesting fact, and it has nothing to do with the count of... But like for guys that shave, when we shave every day, you remove about 1 64th of an inch off of your beard. So between the ages of 20 and 65, men will have shaved off about 23 feet of beard. Can you imagine that, 23 feet? 23 feet of beard that you shaved off and every little piece that you shaved off, God knows. God knows. You don't have to turn there, but in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Jesus says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes, But when the fullness of of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus knows us. And we're adopted into the family. He knows us. He is our eternal hope. 
More hope than one election is going to bring. More hope than, than 20 elections is going to bring. More hope than any proposition is going to bring. Because this hope doesn't need voted upon. It doesn't need a majority vote to say, you can live with Christ forever. Amen. We don't need anyone to stand up and say yes or punch a ballot that says that's okay. That vote's already been taken. As, as his children, we can't forget that God loves us so much. This verse starts out, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us? He loves us that much. As, as much as I love my kids, I can't even imagine that it compares with how much God loves us and how much God loves me and how much God loves you. When this world creeps up on you and it turns its, its ugly head away from you, it's not you. It's not you and your person that this world is turning their head away from. It's Jesus. It is. This world turned its head away from him. And he knows that. He, he, he told us that. But see, that's where our hope lies. We don't have to face this world alone. We face this world with Jesus, right? And, and what we are now, this, this, this is what amazes me. This is what I love about this, this scripture. This is my favorite part. What we are now, what we are now is not what we will be. Follow me back into 1 John, verse number, uh, chapter 3, verse number 2. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him how he is. Here's the principle. As children of God, there is a better future waiting for us. Now, Jesus never promised that this better future, that this better life is going to be on this earth. Okay? He never promised that if you pray enough, that you're going to get paid enough. He never promised you that, that your health and your wealth is directly tied to your life with Christ in this world. He didn't promise that. There's a doctrine that goes around that says the more you give, the better you'll live. That's not what Jesus promises. But he does promise a better future, a life with him in a place that is so much better than anything we can imagine. It says we shall be like him. Now don't, don't, don't twist that scripture and say we're going to be God's. Remember, Jesus was half man, right? And, that, and, and Jesus is in heaven. We're not going to be gods there. It's a twisted scripture. Okay? But we are going to be like him in some ways. Let's look at some of the ways. It, it, it's not the God, like some believe, that we're going to be. Well, we're going to be like him in spirit, right? We're going to be in a place where there is no more pain. Jesus isn't feeling pain right now, right? He's not feeling physical pain. That's where we're going. There's no more pain. 
There's no more suffering. There's no more worries. There's no more clouds. There's no more rain. There's no more tears. There's no more sin. There's no more disease. There's no more longing. We have these glorified bodies. A glorified body. Wow. Um, in case you're wondering, my body, this, this shell that I have to live in is far from glorified. I ain't going to lie to you. It, uh, it can't run really fast. I'm going to be the one picked off by the leopard because I'm at the back of the pack. That's me. It doesn't sleep very well. This, uh, uh, this mind up here forgets some things sometimes. These eyes can't see some things very well sometimes. As much as I love where Christ has put me, I love even more the hope that Christ has given me for where I'm going. A glorified body. In a surrounding that is all loving. What, what, what does it say that, that we're going to be like Him? Are we all loving? There's not, there's not a hate in heaven. There, there's not a despair. There's not, there's not something to be down about. There's love. And what else is there? There's love. And you look over here and there's more love. That's, that's love. And we have a chance to live in an atmosphere where it's pure love for God. I mean, right here, we've got all these distractions, right? That distract us from our, our daily walk with Christ and we can only do so much. But our hope is eternal worship of God. Right? We're not going to have to stop and answer email in heaven. We're not going to have to stop and, and uh, you know, take a phone call. We're not going to have to call for a ride. Uh-uh. Nothing's getting in the way of our worship. Because that's what we do. And as much as we, we might wonder what heaven is like, if there's one thing your soul wants to do full-time right now, it's worship its maker. And that's the kind of hope that we have, that Christ has given us. There's a little boy and his little league team that were playing out at the out of the park towards the end of the season, and it wasn't looking so good. And one of the dads had shown up late with his son, and took his son to the dugout. And one of the little boys was there, and dad says, uh, "What's uh, what's the score?" And the kid that had already been there, he says, "That's yeah, eighteen to nothing." He says, "Yeah, we're getting beat pretty bad." Dad looks at him and says, "Wow, you've you've got to be you've got to be pretty down and disappointed, right?" And the little boy looks up and says, "Disappointed? We haven't even had a chance to bat yet." <laughs> See, he has hope. He's got a lot of hope. He's got nine chances to bat. Can we look at this world the way a little boy looks at this world? For us, it's the hope that we will soon, that, that every day when we take steps up that staircase, we're getting closer to Jesus. It's, it, it's this hope that, and this knowledge that we are going to be with Jesus. See, we're never done living for Him. He will use every single day that we give to Him. If you're willing to give Him the time, He's willing to use you. Finally, in uh, 1 John chapter 3, 
This will be our, our final point in verse number three. It says, All who have this hope in him purify themselves as he is pure. Here's the principle. The closer we get to Jesus, the further away we get from this sinful, filthy world. It's impossible to grow in Christ. I said this earlier, I'll say it again. It's impossible to grow in Christ and grow with this world at the same time. You can't hold on to this very tight relationship with this world and say, I'm going to grow in my faith at some point. Something has to give. Is it a lifestyle that has to give? Is it a habitual sin that has to give? Because you can only take so many steps up that staircase, climbing and growing in Christ before you say, I can't take that other step until I let this go. That's what allows us to become more pure of heart and becoming more pure of heart, more clean and pure, that is a direct consequence of growing deeper with Jesus. Looking forward to this future that we have waiting for us is a result of our relationship with Jesus. Enjoying our life on earth, being separated from a corrupt world, is the result of our connection with Jesus. Earthly hope, satisfying hope, eternal hope, it's all found in Jesus. This purity that the Apostle John speaks of, this purifying of the heart, this is the role that the Christian plays to overcome sin. When you overcome that challenge, it's a little more purity. We can't get, we can't get there without Jesus. But that purity is what happens when we overcome that temptation. And overcoming sin breeds hope. That's where our hope lies. I ask you this morning, where is your hope? Is your hope in this world? Is your hope in other people? Is your hope in things that don't satisfy? Because your heart has a thirst for purity and it has a thirst for hope and it has a thirst for connecting with its creator. If you look at this world and you can't find hope, it might be time to start looking to Jesus. Look at the one who holds all of our hope right in his hands. To live with Jesus now, to come closer to him every day, will bring a hope to every sunrise. It will bring a hope to every evening. It will bring a hope to every meal. It will bring a hope to every single minute. Because you're living and abiding in Jesus.
If there's anyone here that doesn't know the hope of Jesus and the hope that he brings, I'd ask you to find one of the pastors here this morning and come and talk. Just come and have a conversation. Because there's some who could have walked into the park hopeless this morning. And you can walk out full of hope. Full of knowing that you also are abiding in the hands of Jesus. Let's pray.